to the Thursday, May 6th edition of the Clemson Dubcast. Hope everybody has had and is having a great week. I'm still recovering from a cough attack that I just experienced during our interview with Matt Hayes. All I got to say is thank goodness for podcasts over live radio, for me at least, uh, because you can actually edit crazy fits like that out if you want to. At TigerIllustrated.com right now on the front page, the latest on Avion Terrell, four-star DB from Atlanta, younger brother of somebody who you might be aware of. Great stuff as always from Paul Strelo and never a better time than now to join TigerIllustrated.com in our community. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990. 4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parham Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. All right, to our interview with Matt Hayes, giving us a boots on the ground perspective of what it's like down in Jacksonville as they welcome in who they hope will be conquering heroes, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. All right, here we go. Enjoy. All right, joined by Matt Hayes, college football analyst. Let's see, radio host or co-host, I guess, in Jacksonville. Uh, stadium? I didn't know we worked for Stadium. Saturday yeah, do down south? Video, do some video work for Stadium, yeah. Okay. Awesome. I'm just reading your profile, and I'm seeing that you – 57 minutes ago, you took a photo of the beach. Do you live near the beach down there? About a block. Oh, I can like, walk out of my house, uh, walk to the left, walk over A1A, and I'm at the beach. What what beach is this? Uh, Jacksonville Beach. Okay. Uh-huh. How long How long have you lived there? Well, I grew up on the beach. When I, when I grew up south of uh, in a little beach town called Indian Harbor Beach. Uh, again, a block to the beach. First, you know, 19, 20 years of my life, and then haven't been back. And I finally got back to living at the beach uh, probably about four months ago. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, cool. Love it. Yeah, really cool. I'm more of a freshwater guy. We have lakes all around us up here, and uh, but still enjoy the beach. Water's water, man. I just got to be around water. I agree with you. I, I like, you know, lakes, all that. Just water is water. My only issue, I guess, which 
is why I prefer fresh water is salt water is like I feel like I have to take a shower after I get out of it, like all chafing and all that stuff. So these are all old old Florida homes here, and we're in the process of rehabbing uh, the one we have. But all of them have, uh, kid you not, outdoor showers. You know, you you got a little spigot with a little shower head on the outside of your house. So, yeah, so what you're saying is true. I mean, people come up from the beach, the first thing they do is just get in the outdoor shower and not only wash off the sand, but, yeah, the salt, no doubt. All right, so it's been an eventful uh, few weeks down there, uh, sports-wise, related to the Jaguars. Um, just thought that we would connect with you because, you know, over the last several months, as everybody was consumed with Trevor sweepstakes, you know, y'all call me wondering what it's like up here. Well, what, what is it like down there? Um uh, what sort of boots on the ground kind of perspective from you and how, how, how not just Trevor, but, but Travis Etienne have been received. It's almost like, uh, you know, like Cinderella when you know, she's, you know, there's, there's the, the mean stepsisters and Cinderella and she's grinding away cleaning and she never has any fun. And, you know, she always dreams of Prince Charming coming along and it's almost like Trevor is like this Prince Charming and he rides in with those long flowing locks, steps off the plane, and everything, and Larry, I mean everything in this city changes. And and yeah, you know, we talk about what an NFL franchise can do for for a city, for an area, for a region, uh, for a state. But you know, you know, if, for so long, this city has had this inferiority complex of Jacksonville has. You know, people say it's South Georgia; it's not even a Florida. And and uh, by the way, if you ever came here and saw the beaches here and saw the water, the fresh water lakes here, you'd never say that. But anyway they've always had this inferiority complex of, you know, people don't think we are what we are. And, and the only time they haven't had that is when things were going really well early on in the franchise with Fred Taylor and Mark Brunell and Jimmy Smith and Keenan McCardell and Kevin Hardy and, you know, all those big name players. Um, and then the one little pocket in 2017, when they went to the championship game uh, and they lost to the Patriots in a game that should have probably won. They got screwed on a, on a, on a just a terrible call. By an official, um, so they, 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 this is a, a, an entire city. It's hard to explain it this way, Larry. I was going to say it's literally the, the personality, the aura of the entire city. Of no one thinks we're anything, and, and I think getting Trevor, getting a, a quarterback, the number one pick in the NFL draft, getting a quarterback that is a franchise type quarterback, and not any, not even so much a generational on the field type quarterback, but a transformational person on and off the field i think is what's so critical in this city because everything can change in this city the way they think about themselves the way they deal with things as a as a city government as a county government um you know it's i think things it it, it, when they win and it will be because of trevor if they win you you will see things in this city that are completely different from the way they used to be and beginning with you know they're they're haggling over a new stadium. they need a new stadium you know this one's like 20 I don't know, 26, 27 years old, and, and the pantheon of what's going on in stadiums in our world right now, you get to 26 years old, and then you're way behind. They have, like, other than the Bills, they have the oldest, oldest stadium in the NFL. So the idea of getting a stadium has just been laughable for the people in the city, the, the city leaders. It, let's just say, Larry, that, that they come out this year, there's 17 games in the season now. Let's say they go 7-10, and 10, okay, and they make a six-game improvement. They go seven and ten, and, and in three or four of the, of the losses they have, they probably should have won them or could have won them. 
this place will be on fire. And that will lead to the city. And, and, and I've been saying this all along. If they play in this season and you can tell that this team is going to be something special, um, the city, it won't even be a question. They will pass a referendum to build the stadium, and it will not even be a question. Everything will change. And that's just kind of what the NFL does for a city. It's not really unique to Jacksonville. I think it's, it's, you know, it's with a lot of the smaller, uh, the smaller areas and even some of the bigger ones. If you think about it, look, Peyton Manning completely changed Indianapolis. And, and you, you could say, well, you know, the Pacers were there and blah, blah, blah. No. It was when the NFL team was good and when they were winning, when they won the Super Bowl, everything changes there. And you could even go to this point, and I'm not trying to compare Trevor to Peyton Manning or LeBron or Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan changed Chicago. LeBron changed Cleveland. So when you have pro franchises that are unique to the city and, and that have lost for so long, and it, puts, and it suddenly puts the city in a position where you're in the spotlight over and over on telecasts, on, on, on TV, in the media, anywhere in the media, and it's all positive, and people are saying, look at this, X, Y, and Z, things change. And it's not just changing sports-wise. It's changing in businesses. Businesses come. They want to be part of the city. You know, and things start to change. And, and I truly believe that that's what I mean by transformational. Trevor's going to be the generational-type quarterback. You know, if he doesn't get hurt, God willing, and he plays like everyone believes he can play, he will be that type of player on the field. The bigger impact, I really believe, will be on the city and how he just transforms things here. It's interesting you said if they if they win, if they succeed, it'll be because of Trevor. Um, counter, though, to that, and this is really the rub, what makes it so difficult to predict and really kind of unfair for him, is that if they lose, it could be because of him, but it it could not be because of him. They, you know, because there's been so many examples um, of the crapshoot nature of 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 selecting quarterbacks at the next level, and it's related to far more than just the abilities of those quarterbacks. I guess it's the right. The, I guess it's just a function of when you have <laughs> the worst team picking the best player. Like they were the worst team for a reason, you know. And right. So I'm just. I'm curious of the the pressure that's on this kid uh, as as he as he sort of puts everything on his shoulders, as you said, not just the franchise but the community as well. Well, I, I, I kind of look at it this way, and, and what you're saying is exactly right, by the way. Um, but the one great part about the NFL is it's a player driven league, and if if things aren't going well, guess who gets blamed? Coaches. So. So it's it's if this thing if they're if they're putting or trying to put the best people around him to make him successful on the field, and it doesn't happen, and he clearly you can see that he's a guy that's playing well, but there's just not around him, nothing around him. Sort of like Matt Stafford with Detroit. How many years was he? Matt Stafford might be at the end of the at you know when it's all said and done, he retires. Well, now he's with the Rams, but his time with Detroit, I think it was what eleven years, may have been the biggest waste in all in the NFL history. Right, right there with yeah. Archie Manning. I mean, that, the talent that guy had and, it, and what they couldn't do with him was just remarkable. So well, I guess my point is if they don't put people around him or they don't get people around him and it's clear that he's playing and that he's a, a difference maker, then it's Urban Meyer's fault. It's not his fault. It's, it's Trent Baalke, the GM's fault. So you know, then those guys are gone. Um, now, as far as the pressure and, and dealing with the, you know, the, the, the enormous amount of, you know, he's got all this on his shoulders of, of, of transforming a franchise in a city. I always go back to 
the kid was a ninth grader and people were telling him he's going to be the first pick overall in the draft. Ninth, he's 15 years old. Yeah. 15 years old and people are telling him he's going to be the first pick in the draft. And to me, he's the initial pressure of when he's in ninth grade is he's beating out a, a senior, a senior who had experience playing the position who had to move the tight end to get on the field that the senior, you know, it's Miller Forstall at Alabama. Who's now got drafted. We'll play in the NFL. <laughs> he went to the coaching staff and said, look, clearly I'm not the quarterback here. I'm going to move now. And, and so, so Joy King starts Trevor Lawrence, Miller Forstall goes to tight end. Think about that. Remember when you were 15, think about being 15 in high school when literally all you're worried about is going to school and thinking, Oh my God, do people think I'm an idiot? And he's going to school and the senior quarterback says, all right, I'm done. I'm not playing anymore. Man, I'm going to go to tight end now, right? You, you can play him. He's, he's, so he's been at that kind of pressure, that kind of, you know, you are the guy, you are the chosen one since ninth grade. And I know you and I have talked about this. Um, I, I can remember when he just finished his sophomore season. He was going into his junior year, and I was at a Steve Clarkson quarterback camp out in L.A. And he's out there, and there's all kind of big-time players out there. You know, Josh Rosen's out there, and, I was out there actually to do a story on Josh Rosen because he was, you know, the next great thing. And, and Trevor makes this throw from the number to the far sideline, like a deep out. And I was standing next to a sports agent and he looks at me, he says 85% of the guys in the league right now can't make that throw. And he was a sophomore going into his junior season. This was in May. So he hadn't yet even completed his sophomore season, his sophomore school year yet. Um, and, and the idea that that was the overarching umbrella about this kid and who he was and who he is. It, it just, it just boggles the mind. So now I want to retract to ninth grade. So you're talking about ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, freshman, sophomore, junior, every year he's had this idea of you're the greatest. What can you do? And every year he's gotten better every year. He hasn't regressed. There's been no regression with him. None. He might have had like a three-game regression in his sophomore year, and we, and we have no idea what that was all about. That could be more scheme or whatever. But he bounced back quickly. Um, there's, he's literally gotten better and better and better every year. So my big thing is I'm a track record guy. You look at his track record, and he will get better in the NFL every single year. As long as he doesn't get injured. And again, God willing, he doesn't get injured. I don't see any reason why he won't get better. I mean, Larry, we had David Shaw, uh, the Stanford coach, on our show yesterday. And seriously, if, if, if the folks who listen to your podcast, the Clemson fans really want to hear some unique talk about Trevor Lawrence and his prospects in the NFL, go on 1010XL.com and go into the, uh, the on-demand archives and listen to what David Shaw says about Trevor Lawrence. Mm. It's remarkable. Now, David Shaw is not only a successful college coach. Okay. He's also a guy who coached Andrew Luck, which is who, who Trevor's been compared to. And then, and of course, David Shaw kind of said, well, there's, there's really no comparison because he's Trevor's a better athlete. He thinks he's a, he's probably a better, a better prospect than Andrew Luck. If you listen to David Shaw, who coached in the NFL with a quarterback's coach in the NFL, so he knows the position. Okay. He, uh, the way he talked yesterday, Larry, it was, I was blown away by it. Like if I'm a Jags fan driving around in this city, listening, listening to that show. And I hear David Shaw talking like this and I don't have season tickets yet. I'm going to get him. I mean, that's, David Shaw was basically saying, look, this kid, not only will he be succeed, he will succeed. He will succeed at a high level. He will be among the elite in the league as soon as he steps on the field. As soon as he steps on the field, Larry, day one, he said, now he won't. He said there won't be a situation where 
you know, if he's on the field with, with, you know, with Pat Mahomes, he's not the best player on the field. He said, but there will be times when he steps on the field day one, day one in the NFL, where he will be the best player on the field. That to me just blew me away. Mm. You know, back in, let's see, this would have been, I guess maybe like March of 18 after he got here and had gone through several weeks of, of spring practice. Uh, so my daughters were playing softball, little rec softball league, and Brent Venable's daughters were as well. And so uh, he, he's a lot different <laughs> in, a, in, a, in, the, in the bleachers, you know, watching his girls than he is on the sideline when he's having to be right, held right. back. But anyway, yeah, we're just making small talk. And this is, you know, this is three months after they, they uh, lose to Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. 24 to 6 and we, you know they had Kelly Bryant in the in the transition after Deshaun Watson and they couldn't really stretch the field and you know clearly limited the right. downfield passing and so I'm asking Venables hey you know about the you know defense this and that just small talk and and I said uh what do you think about number 16 and his eyes got really big those bug eyes right he said he's the best <laughs> freshman I've ever seen and keep in mind, he was at Oklahoma when Adrian Peterson was there. Right. And uh, he said, I, he, he's, he's the best player on the field. He's like, he's the best we've ever had. And keep in mind, Deshaun Watson had just come through. Right. Uh, a year earlier, uh, he, said, I, I, he said, I guarantee you this, we ain't going to have the same problems we had last year throwing the ball. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and that same, and so that, that's when I knew it's like, so, you know, as a reporter, you know, I mean, of course I wasn't interviewing him, you know, you're, as a reporter, your job is constantly sort of like trying to fill in the picture, you know, a little piece, right. piece here, piece there. So you knew he was really good, but you're trying to figure out how good is he going to be right away. And so at that time, just when I start saying publicly, this, this guy, it's only a matter of time, you know, before he, before he displaces Kelly Bryant, maybe even day one. Um, and then Jeff Scott, I was talking to him. Well, actually, I'd gone back, and that caused me to go back and look at more of his high school stuff because I usually don't look at high school film. I usually just wait till I get here. But right. uh, there's this throw he made in high school, I guess his senior year. He's running to it. He, the pocket breaks down, so he's you know having to go to his second and third option. He rolls, spins out, rolls to his left, toward the sideline and just uncorks this laser running to his left, like one of the hardest throws that you could make that high school kids can't make. And it just so happened that the person filming the, uh, taking the video was right where the receiver was running toward the sideline. So you could, the velocity that he got on that ball, you really got a great picture of it. And so I, I tweeted that that video uh, of that throw and I said Trevor Lawrence are you kidding me and so like the next day I'm talking with Jeff Scott and uh, I said what's the best throw you've you've ever seen him make he said just the one you tweeted yesterday <laughs> yeah I've had scouts tell me the same thing I've literally had scouts tell me that throw if you watch nothing else with Trevor Lawrence just watch that throw because again there are NFL quarterbacks that can't make that throw that's a very, very difficult throw. He's not only rolling, a, he's not only rolling on a boot. He's throwing across his body to a to a specific point in the end zone, and it's not like it can be here, there, there, and the, and the receiver can go get it. He's literally pinpointing the ball on the, 
corner of the end zone with the receiver standing there, almost going out of bounds. Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable throw. I'm curious, like a few months ago, you know, you, y'all had me on your radio show, and you're trying to figure out who Trevor is, the person, what he's like off the field, what kind of intangibles he brings, leadership, all that. So obviously you've learned more about him in recent months, but I'm curious for like the casual Jaguars fan down there, how, you know, how have they come to know him, all those parts of him off the field? And when do you think sort of there was sort of this consensus that, Oh wow, this guy is not just different as a player. He's different as a member of our community. Like what was it that, if there was one thing in particular that sort of ended up selling like, you know, just the, the casual fan or the average fan, I guess I should say. I mean, honestly, Larry, I, I, it's a great question. I, I don't know that they understand the, the, the totality of what they're getting into right now, because if you look at this franchise, they've had elite players, Hall of Fame caliber players, Tony Baselli, Fred Taylor, um, Jimmy Smith. They've had those guys. Mark Brunel was a great player here. He's not a Hall of Fame guy, but he was a great player, uh, great in the community. But he was great in the community after he played. You know, he was more of a more of a community guy after he played. All these guys are um, the impact, I should say, on the community. I, I just think they don't really realize what this is going to be like. Probably the the closest thing I think they could to understand his impact was when a group of Jags fans, uh, like two weeks before the draft, you know, kind of. It was kind of like a half joke. They, on Twitter, they kind of uh, you know gathered some money together, and they said, "Yeah, we want to buy Trevor a a, a, a marriage gift." You know, they saw his registry. We want to buy him a <laughs> gift, and it grew from like you know a hundred bucks to like ten thousand dollars. That's how crazy the city is for a guy like him, but also crazy for a a team that not only will win, but like I said earlier, that will transform the city. So it grew to like ten thousand dollars. They ended up buying him like a toaster or something, a $300 toaster, and then told him the rest of it could be given to his charity. And he tweets back immediately and says, you know, thank you so much. This is unbelievable. You know, what's his wife's name again? Marissa, is that right? Yeah, Marissa. Yeah, Marissa. Marissa and I are overwhelmed by this. Um, we're going to match We're gonna match the gift that, that you guys, the monetary gift, put to our charity. I think at that point, the people in this city kind of realized what they were dealing with and who they were dealing with. Um, it's just so much more. It's so much more than a football player, but you know what Dabo and Nick Saban and you'll you hear coaches say this all the time. The dudes that are living right off the field are the guys that play well on the field. It's a direct correlation and it's not even close. That's just how it works. Um, you, you know, you, you succeed off the field, you will succeed on the field. If you struggle off the field, it's going to bleed over into on the field. And he's so far again, since ninth grade, he's got it covered, man. He literally has it covered and he's, he's just a unique guy that he sees things that other kids, his age or the young men, his age don't see. Um, and he understands things off the field that other guys, his age don't. I'm not saying there aren't other people that do, because certainly there are. There's a lot of, and this is a point I've made so many times too, Larry. There are so many good young dudes in college sports that really don't get enough attention. Um, for example, is Darius Rancher at Clemson. Just a great young dude who understands life. Um, and it's been great for Trevor, by the way, too. I'm sure you know that. But there are so many guys like him that 
don't get the opportunity to be celebrated. And I mean, if, if, if I look at it, I think Trevor, the player certainly should be celebrated, but people, if they knew him beyond the field, Trevor, you know, Trevor, the person that's a dude to be celebrated. He just, he gets it. It's, I think back to his first year, just sort of evaluating him as a person based largely on his media interactions. And that's a very risky thing to do <laughs> one way right, or the other. Right. Of course it is. Yeah. Um, I mistakenly made the assumption that, okay, like, I mean, like you said, he's, he's been told since he's, you know, was in the ninth grade, you're going to be an NFL draft pick. I just assumed he was this, your classic robotic superstar who's been groomed to never say anything. Right. You know, to just spout the normal cliches and to have this wall up between himself and the rest of the outside world. And I didn't really start to think otherwise until his sophomore year when, uh, you know, he went through some struggles. He he threw a bunch of picks earlier in the year when everybody thought he was going to, you know, lead them to a, 45 and 0 record over there his entire career and never going to throw another pick after what happened against Alabama right. <laughs> in, in California and the way he handled that adversity of, of of not of things not unfolding as he or anyone else expected he started to see the humility and the comfort in his own skin and the graciousness and he never stopped showing that, you know, from all the way from then until just, you know, last week when he, uh, you know, made his, I guess, appearance after being drafted. And just, I, I'm just, I mean, I'm trying to imagine what it would be like for me or you or whoever, if you're 21 years old, to be that self-aware and that humble. And, and I don't know, man, it's it's a remarkable thing uh, because most most superstars just aren't like that. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you another great example. It's almost like, you know, it's the old saying is, if you, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. Um, we spoke about Miller Forstall when he was a freshman. You know, and you know what happened when he, when he got to Clemson with Kelly Bryant. And, you know, a year after that, I, was, I went to Clemson. Uh, I was doing a, a profile on Trevor for a bleach report. And I sat down and sp- spoke with him at length about, you know, everything, football life and everything. And we got to the Kelly Bryant point. So I guess he was probably, shoot, nine, ten games removed from that, 11 games removed from that. There was, it was near the end of the season. It was in November. Um, you know, and he was, we were talking about it, and he was genuinely upset that it didn't work out for Kelly Bryant. And, and I, don't mean it was, I don't mean it's one of those things where you can tell the guy saying, yeah, he was a good friend of mine. We were in the quarterback room. We hung out together. He was really upset to the point where he, you know, he didn't know if he wanted it in the story, mm. you know, and I, and I, you know, and I, and I told him, look, it's part of your story. You know, it's unique the way you're, the way you're talking about it. I think people would like to see it. So, you know, the story runs about, you know, a couple of weeks later and it's in the story. It's part of the story. It's not even that, I mean, it's a 3000 word story and it's probably 300 words of it, you know? And I, uh, I spoke with Ross Taylor, who, the great Ross Taylor, the SID there at Clemson. And Ross said, Trevor loved it, except he wasn't happy about the Kelly Bryant stuff. And I said, and you know what, too, Larry, and I've never done this. Typically, as a journalist, you say, look, it's part of the story. It's got to be told, blah, blah, blah. And I said, Ross, I understand his emotions on it. And please explain to him that I'm sorry he felt, he felt this way. I'm sorry it upset him. 
I just felt like it needed to, you know, it needed to be in the story. Like I'd never apologized for anything. And then I said, you know, looking back, maybe it shouldn't have been in there, but I felt like it needed to be part of the story. Like I never would have been that engaged in a response of that type. And I never have, but I, I knew what it meant to him when he was talking about how it hurt him that Kelly Bryant didn't get his opportunity. Um, so that's the kind of guy you're dealing with. You're dealing with a guy who not only is an extreme competitor, um, just a guy that, that Davos said on, on our podcast with him, it's just he's never seen a guy that competes like him. Um, uh, we had Kelly, we had, um, I'm sorry, um, Tony Elliott on our radio show yesterday. He was talking about Trevor and said the, the way this guy grinds in his competition, the idea that there's no chip on his shoulder is laughable. Um, to be a guy that can also, on the other end, see the humanity of it, of seeing one of a guy you're with, a teammate you're with. It's, it's interesting to see a guy with that kind of drive on the field to have so much humility off it. And I was affected by it. And I, like, I'm not kidding. I hung up with Ross and like for the next two or three days, like I was like a little bit bummed. And like my, my at one point my wife was like, like, what's wrong with you? And I explained it to her. And she said, like, why don't you write him a note or something? And I thought, yeah, it'll be all right. It'll, it'll be all right. And I never did. I probably should have. But you know what? I just felt bad that, you know, I wanted, I wanted to show this guy who he was. It was more of a story of who he was, the person, as well as the player. Um, you know, but I just felt like it had to be. That was part of the story. And, and Kelly was very good when I talked to him about it, too. Kelly was saying, you know, it's not his fault. It's, you know, you know I think everybody was clear when he came in and what it was like. And Trevor was always a good guy to me, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that kind of that kind of explains kind of who he is off the field. He's he's as or more concerned about someone else than he is about himself. Those are the those are the selfless guys, Larry, that coaches like literally would kill for. You want a guy that's selfless, that doesn't that it's not about him. It's about others. And it's about the collective whole. Those are the guys coaches literally will kill for. And he's that guy. You mentioned the chip on the shoulder thing. Um, Sports Illustrated had that article a couple of weeks ago, and I thought the really unfortunate part of of the controversy that came that this the, the, the totally ridiculous uh, controversy that came from that was it was actually like a really good story because it it was it it uh, opened it sort of illuminated on it really told me stuff about Trevor. I didn't really know in terms of, um, you know, his brothers had some issues with drugs and things like that, you know, gone a different route. Um, Trevor himself has, you know, he's, he's, he's scrutinized his own spirituality. Not that he's not, you know, an upstanding devoted Christian, but only because, as he said, you know, I'm not going to just believe something just because somebody tells me to believe it. I'm going to examine it myself. Right. And I, I don't know. It just, it really humanized him more than he had been. So I thought it was a great article in that respect. But of course, <laughs> in today's culture, you know, the, the takeaway is, oh my God, Trevor doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. And because he said football isn't, isn't, all he is you know he had, there's more to him than just football and what was your uh sort of take on that that whole episode i actually I talked with mike rosenberg about it um we had him on our show and it's it's interesting larry it's once you <clears throat> once you get crossover into the realm of faith when you're writing a story 
then you get in all the outliers who all they want to do is criticize. And I, and I don't care what your faith is, or not you, the general you. Sure. I don't care what your faith is. I don't care what you believe. But why in the world would you criticize someone for what they believe? Why would, why would a guy who says, look, I'm grounded in my faith, you know, I'm not worried about what happens with my life tomorrow because I know where I am today with, with, the, with what I believe in. I don't, I've never understood that. I've never understood why that is such a problem for so many people to deal with, why right? it's such a problem for when athletes say the first thing they say when they get interviewed is, you know, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I don't understand that. If that's what he wants, I don't understand why that's such a big deal for people. So, you know, we always want we always want players and coaches as as journalists to be as open and free as possible to speak. And when they do speak, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is what happens. And I understand. Look, I'm also not Larry. I'm I'm also not immune to the reality that there are guys who profess that and then aren't really that and are different people. So I think you got to, you got to, you know, look who you're talking to. Um, I think it's partly that with the, with the article, I think it's partly, look, we've, he's been in this spotlight now really for three years, but really since his ninth grade, but for three years, the heavy spotlight at Clemson and there's never been a flaw. The NFL couldn't find a flaw. Larry, we've been talking about the draft for four months and he was barely mentioned, barely mentioned, because I don't. Th- I think it was only because not only because the Jags was in lock, they were going to take him, but he was barely mentioned because there was nothing negative to say about him. Right now in the media industry, negativity sells. So there's, if there's nothing negative to say about him, if he can't make this throw or that throw, if he's not as athletic as he needs to be, if he's a, a statue in the pocket. If he's a guy who, when he was a freshman, got a DUI, if there's nothing negative to sell, then it's boring. So there's nothing spoken about him for four months. Then a story comes out where he says, you know, football is not my passion. It's not everything to me. How many players have you talked to, Larry, that have told you? Whatever sport, football, college basketball, baseball, I'm not consumed by it. It's not my passion. I love playing it. You know, my passion is my faith. My passion is my family. We hear this all the time. But suddenly it becomes a story because the number one pick in the NFL draft, the guy who literally has not had a problem, has not had a flaw. There's been no fissure, no fracture anywhere in who he is or what he's about. Finally, there it is. There it is. There it is. He doesn't play with a chip on his shoulder. I mean, come on, man. The The guy lost two games. At major college football, and you're telling me that, like, how do you, like, argue with something like that? So it's, it's to me, that's really what I thought about more than anything, that it's, it's unfortunate in, in our, our media industry. And you could say this is my get-off-my-lawn moment, and I don't really care, to be honest with you, because at this point, I don't care anymore. But, but the idea is, at this point, is you got to find something to tear somebody down. Because it can't all be positive. There's no way. There's too many stories of where there's negative lurking somewhere. So there's got to be a, po- a negative somewhere. There has to be. And you got to find it. And then once you find it, you're right. Now, to Michael's credit, Michael Rosenberg, Michael just wrote the story. He didn't think anything of it. He never thought it was going to be like a big deal. And it was a terrific story. But you can read things differently no matter how you are. And when you've got a bullhorn on national television to people, and when you've got shows that are built upon people arguing, man, you take that little thing about chip on your shoulder, if you're ESPN, and you hold on to that thing like grim death, man, and you get after it. And nobody, Larry, 
nobody beats a dead horse like ESPN. Yeah. And I'm just, well, I'm just curious with Rosenberg and your conversation with him, did he indicate that Trevor was fine with the story as presented and that it, that it was, you know, loved it. He said yeah. he loved it. Great. Great. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, Michael said, look, I, he said, I got done with the story with the interview. And he said, my editor said, you know, the first thing his editor said was, well, you know, what'd you get? You get anything, you know, anything uh, headline worthy. And he was like, no, but he's, he's a great, you know, he's a great guy and it's going to be a great story. And he, he had no, he just wrote the story. He had no idea that this would be something that would be seized upon. But again, if you've done everything the way it should be done for so long in this media culture now, there's always somebody is looking for the negative because you know why? Because it could be Manti, Manti Teo. You could be getting catfished. And that's really where you're at right now. And the depth that that Michael went to, and that I mean, the, the reporting that he did <clears throat> and the, 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 the depth that Trevor went you know, in, in his, in his sort of, uh, what he shared, you don't get that without establishing a level of trust. It's not like a reporter right. just calls up Trevor Lawrence and, and he right. opens up to that extent. I mean, I'm sure that Michael spent <clears throat> considerable time with him and, and developed a relationship because you don't get, you know, uh, that type of new sort of angle, I guess you could say, uh, of Trevor, the human, and you know, talking about sensitive stuff like his brother and, and all yeah, that. You don't stuff. see a person's heart. You don't see yeah. a person's heart unless you build a relationship with them, right? And that's what's honestly, Larry. And I don't know if this is where you're headed, but that's what's kind of lost right now in journalism today is relationships. Man, you got to have relationships, and and it's such a it's such a shallow pool of he said this, they did this, they lost this game. Boom, you pounce on it. It's such a shallow pool right now. There is no deep end stuff right now. And that's the problem. That is a big problem. It's all a six-second video on TikTok or Instagram. And that's the problem. And, and, you know, that's where we are right now. It's unfortunate, but that's a big, big problem with the idea of trying to tell stories and, and, and explain things, good and bad, good and bad, Larry, not just good. It's a problem when you can't show things that need to be shown because all anybody wants to see is a four-second clip. You know, that's all they want to see now these days. It also, another part of it, at least it seems to me, is where some of these national types, uh, the media types, 10 years ago, their jobs consisted of traveling regularly, visiting these campuses and hanging out, developing relationships with these coaches, you know. There's give and take um, yep. with those coaches, whereas now it seems like that has devolved into, for, for, for numerous reasons, I guess, industry reasons, things like that. But it seems like a lot of these guys, well, maybe not a lot, but a, a significant number, they sit on Twitter for 12 hours a day and Naval react gaze. to what they, what's that? Naval, the gaze of their navel. Yeah, and so it's like... Yeah. Yeah, during the season, you know, if there's a press conference, <clears throat> you know, such as last season, I guess ex- one of the examples being after uh, after the Florida State Clemson game was postponed, you know, and Dabo caught heat for 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 his I- immediate sort of reaction to it, which I'm not saying he was perfect, right? Like he, he might have gone too far, okay. But then 
in subsequent press conferences, he is continuing to be asked about it by the media. And so, therefore, he's answering. And so, on Twitter, when somebody who's actually participating in the press conference tweets, Dabo says this about Florida State, the reaction from the peanut gallery that's sitting on Twitter all day, instead of actually participating in the press conference, which you can do now because of Zoom right, <laughs> uh, right. A, a lot e- more easily. It's, oh, my God, Dabo is still going on with this. He's still beating this drum. And it's like, no, no, he's not. He's, he just is responding, you know. So there's pretty important context there that is lost when you're just sort of hanging out on Twitter. Well, of course, and, it's, and it goes back to the success thing. Dabo's highly successful coach. What he's done at Clemson, I mean, it's truly a great story. A guy that was given the team, you know, as an interim coach and just hold on for this year till we find somebody. Then Terry Don Phillips makes a you know the decision of a lifetime for him. Look, and, you know, and it's it's not like it's been easy. They had a 70 burger hung on him in the Orange Bowl. Dabo easily could have been fired after that. In this day and age, you probably would have. They stay stick with him and look what he's done. And and I think it's it goes back to there's no he's having that much success and everything's going right. No, there's gotta be something. And you know, when something remotely seen as negative happens then you jump on it you pounce on it and again like i said nobody beats a dead horse like espn nobody and 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 espn directs for the most part what is what's the media narrative right now and then others follow that and whether you agree with that or not you cannot i mean look it's it's time after time after time we see it and 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 they set the directive um you may not like it but it's the harsh reality of it so I understand all of it, but there needs to be more individual thinkers. There need to be more individual thinkers who sit, stand up and say, wait, that's not right. Come on, man. First off, it's the heat of the moment. The first time he said that, okay? It's the heat of a moment of a team and a coaching staff and a training staff and the entire people that work in that football office who work from Sunday to Friday to make sure everybody's COVID clean as possible. Everything's good. They're ready to go. They're on the plane. They're ready to go. Everything's good, okay? If something happens for one reason or another, why wouldn't they be crushed? Why, why wouldn't they be crushed? Now, you can say, well, he's got be, to be better than that than to let his emotions spill out. Man, you can't ask somebody to do that. You just can't. It's an emotional game. And with the pandemic, oh, by the way, that's times about 1,000. So I get that. All right? I even maybe get a follow-up the next day, and he explains it again. But when you get into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or the following week, or now Dabo's a guy who doesn't care about players, he's a guy that only wants to win games. I mean, that's just stupid is what it is. It's stupid. Here's what's another uh, snippet of what you're talking about. So back in, uh, what was that, I guess October, when Trevor Lawrence tested positive for COVID, uh, I guess two days before the Boston College game, and sort of as a way this sort of media narrative works, well, first, of course, it's like, oh, my God, you know, what are they going to do? And, and then, you know, because you have the Notre Dame, the trip to Notre Dame nine days away. <clears throat> and so for the 48 hours that elapse between uh, when the news comes out that, that, that he's out after testing positive to the point that they play Boston College, the conversation is basically, oh, well, they're going to find a way to play him against Notre Dame. There's, there's no doubt, you know, because there's, you know, there's no way they'll sit Trevor Lawrence 
Right. Right. Notre Dame. Right. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so fast, fast forward two fast, weeks, right? right. Uh, well, no, actually, fast forward two hours because Boston College game ends, and so as a reporter covering the team, you're prepared for oh gosh, all the uncertainty and drama of the week, trying to figure out if Trevor's going to play or not. Like, so you, you, sure. you're trying. I'm trying to, to to think through all that and to plan for how that's going to unfold. Well, post game press conference, Dabo says. Oh, and by the way, uh, Trevor's going to be out next week just because that's the way the protocol is. And that's right. what, um, that's the way right. it works. And it's just, we just want to be as safe as possible um, before we put him back on the field. And so, I mean, to me, that's refreshing in the moment. It's like, wow, man, good, good for Dabo. He's looking out for his right. player. Well, so a few days later, Paul and Paul Feinbaum, he has a newspaper writer on, I think it's uh, Gene Sapikoff of the Post and Courier. Literally, the topic is, okay, something nefarious is going on here if Trevor Lawrence isn't playing against Notre Dame. what What is going on? Well, I don't know, Paul. Something kind of fishy's going on there. He's not playing. And I, I swear, I'm like, I listened to it like five times in a row. And I'm trying to process how that could be <laughs> the question or the conclusion, like, of him not playing <laughs> and, uh, you know, and doing the right thing. And, and really, the story was that nobody really covered that I, that I know of <clears throat> was that, and it's really common sense, like, to that point, if you're the coach, you've had other players who have been subject to a certain protocol, right? If you test positive and you're out for this long, that's, that's the way it's gone. So how would that look? Not, not just to the outside world, but to your, to own your team. Room. Yes, of if course. If you found a way to play Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I thought he should be commended for that, but nobody was doing it. It's just it's crazy. Just crazy how that, how that works. Uh, but back to the back see what to, happens. We start talking about Trevor Lawrence at the beginning of this podcast, then we get into the media. <laughs> oh, I knew we were going to we're gonna get to this. Rails, I knew we were going to get to this. Now, <laughs> so the chip on the shoulder thing, <clears throat> in addition to the absurdity of, well, Tom Brady cusses out his teammates, so therefore it's there's a problem if Trevor Lawrence doesn't, you know, ignoring the fact that there have been plenty of uh, great great players who have done it gracefully and, 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 and not cussed out their teammates. The funny thing, now I did not follow this story partly cause I was on vacation for part of that time. And partly cause I just don't care. Um, it just was a non story to me, but I wonder, did anybody bring up the fact that I think it was three years ago around the same time off season. Do you remember when Trevor played in that intramural basketball game? Yes. And he body slammed the frat guy? <laughs> yes. Okay. At the, <laughs> it's so ironic because at that time, it was, oh, my God, he's <laughs> he's too competitive. He has too right, much of right. a chip on his shoulder. Did anybody right. bring that up that, that uh, during this recent discussion no. that you know of? No. No. <laughs> nope. Not, I mean, not literally not in the least. No, oh, that's my a gosh. great point. That's a great because if you're gonna if you're gonna look at one thing that might be questionable, which is just ridiculous, but yeah, yeah, that, that might be one thing. No, I, I never heard anybody bring that up. Well, at the time, the frat, the, you know, the intramural basketball thing, I'm like, 
oh my god this is actually a this is a thing like trevor's being a college kid and his temper gets the best of him because a guy is like in his grill like 93 feet away from the basket trying to be you know big time and he and he and he slams the guy onto the floor like that's a story really <laughs> the story is Tre- trevor lawrence hates rat guys <laughs> Next, next. Oh my On lord! Top news. Oh yeah, my gosh! No kidding. no kidding! No kidding! But I mean, it's just kind of it's 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 why I say, and I say this all the time, Larry. Uh, Twitter is the is the greatest worst thing ever. It is, and that's you can put that for all social media. That's just what it is. It's it's given everyone the ability. Um, it's it's twofold. It's given everyone the ability to say their opinion, no matter how ridiculous or uninformed their opinion is, and number two. For some unknown reason, it's given those opinions credibility, and and I just I I don't get it. I mean, it's you know these things used to be done at bars, or when you're sitting in you know when you're in between basketball games, pick up basketball games at the basketball court, things like that. Now it's just it's out there, and some of the craziest, wildest, dumbest, most uninformed things are said on Twitter. Not only by fans now. I mean, in general, not fans, not just fans. Fans and media people alike, and taking as gold, and taking as absolute gold. I mean, it, you, all you got to do is look at the look at the process of uh, playing college football. How many times were we told the season was not going to happen last year? Yeah. How many times? Not going to happen. Season's over. Any week, the season will be completely canceled. And I'm telling you right now, I literally had three different commissioners and three different leagues tell me, "This, that's not even. It's not even real." Of course it's going to happen. We're going to figure out a way. We're going to work the problem week by week. And if we get to our, to our dead end point where we think we've got a way to handle this, we're going to play the season. It was never even a question that they were going to try and play the season. But that gets out there. Someone puts that out there. And then everybody follows and says, my source says it too. Oh, my source confirmed this. I have confirmed that. And that's the problem right now. And it's not just for that specific story. It's stories in general. It's big stories, little stories in general, and it's it's unfortunate, man. It's, and and the and the media culture and journalism we've lost, we've lost a bit of respect that we've had for so long. It's I see it, Larry, and I'm I'm embarrassed by it. It's terrible. There are good, there are good, there are great, there are excellent journalists, and there are others that are not. And you just it's unfortunately it's like everything in life. A few bad apples spoil everything. Thinking back to to that time last spring and summer, uh, and one of, one of the reporters I really respect and how he went about it, it was uh, Ross Dellinger. Yeah, Ross uh, did a terrific job. Uh, terrific job. SI. It was it was this thing called reporting, <laughs> and that's all it was. It wasn't tinged with emotion or negativity or here's what I think is going to happen or here's what's wrong with our leaders and all that. It was just hard-boiled reporting and analysis, and uh, there was so much other stuff that I don't know. It just was uh, wasn't the best look for 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 some of the some of the writers out there, I guess. I guess the best way to say it, there's a lot of guessing going on, a lot of guessing. And and from what I remember, journalism school, um, guessing was never a part of it, never, never. When I was in journalism school, if you spelled a guy's name wrong, if I spelled your name with one R instead of two fail i failed the paper so that's how strict it was when i was in journalism school i don't know what it's like now but there was never any guessing or this could be or that could be never never 
How long do you spend on Twitter a day, would you say? Not long at all. Good. I mean, I'm, the only time I'm really on there is because of the radio show. So, like, I'll say, okay, you know, up next we have Larry Williams from Tigers Illustrated joining us and, and things like that. Other than that, seriously, I can't. I just can't do it. It's it, I've gotten to the point where if, if I'm on Twitter and I'm reading things, it's just – it gets me, it's not really angry. It just gets me disappointed. I just don't want to, I don't even want to look at it. Like I'll get texts all the time from my buddies. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? And it'll be like a, a screenshot or, or a copy to a link of what someone said. And I just can't, I can't do it, man. I just can't. I got a couple buddies who are at that point right now too. Chris Lowe is a really good friend of mine at ESPN. He's, he can't do it anymore. Uh, Mark Schlebaugh, another good friend of mine, can't do it anymore. It's just, uh, it's different. Maybe we're, we're older guys. Because you know we're the old we're the old guys that used to do it X way, but I just can't I can't deal with the whole guessing and and I think and and yeah I heard this too my source confirms this too I just can't do that I can't. I don't think it's an age thing I think it's a a priority thing on okay what what does this what do I gain from this and what do I lose from not having this <laughs> right you uh, know you're right. Um, and that applies, I think, to most all social media. And my, my sort of philosophy is, and I don't spend much time on Twitter either, maybe five minutes a day, five or ten minutes a day. But if I have people on my website who are paying $10 a month for me to be, you know, to interact with me there on my message board, then shouldn't I be there <laughs> instead right, of, right. Uh, instead of, you know, instead of on in that on in that craziness uh matt so the last time you were on the podcast <clears throat> i believe was the day before the uh 2019 semifinal between ohio state and clemson right and a lot's changed since then because around that yeah. time well I, I mean obviously lsu was a a force of nature at, at that time so we knew they were really good uh but and i guess i could uh, well, I should probably rewind to 2018 in the aftermath of, of Clemson 44-16 uh, to over Alabama. The point being that in the last two years, a lot has happened that we did not predict in the aftermath of, of that championship game in California in that at the time it was, I think the two conclusions were either, boy, Clem- is, you know, were the questions, is, is, is Dabo <clears throat> overtaking and eclipsing Nick Saban? And then the other one was, okay, it's a Clemson-Alabama world, um, you know, for the foreseeable future. Obviously, that ain't happened. LSU stepped up, maybe one of the best offenses in college football history. And then, of course, Ohio State has has introduced itself uh, back as a legitimate contender. There's Georgia. What's your take on all the changes, uh, sort of the evolution of the last two years, Clemson's place right now moving forward, as it really seems like, a number of powers have sort of stepped up their games uh, in part as a response to Clemson doing what it did uh, by winning two titles in three years. Does that make sense to you? Sure. Sure. It does. I'm, I mean, uh, I don't think there's any question still Alabama Clemson. It's still their world. Um, and, and, really? and if you're not Ohio a, state, yeah. no, I, I mean, Ohio state got a great transfer quarterback. That's why they became elite. Um, so I, I look at it that way. I, I truly do. Um, I think Ohio State's there, and the, it's it's the group of five or six teams that are all there. But I think they're all chasing Clemson and Alabama. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, you look at LSU. Not only was it 
maybe not only maybe it was the greatest individual season any quarterback's ever had. It's probably also the greatest team in college football history. Mm-hmm. I, I'll I'll say this: when you can get a unique type talent, and you have elite players around him, a unique type talent at quarterback. Because Larry, football now, college football, the NFL, it is a passing game, and the quarterback has never been more important. So when you get a quarterback that can throw the ball vertically, uh, that can stress defenses, that can recognize at the line of scrimmage both pre-snap and during the play, um, man, you are gold. You are gold. And that's what Clemson has had with with Deshaun, uh, with Trevor, and now it looks like with uh, DJ Uyunglele. And if they continue on that path of we have the quarterback, that, that position is set. We're set now quarterback. And they have that great defensive line, and they have those skill players, and let's say Justin Ross is healthy and he's playing. I mean, I, I, I'm I got to tell you, man, I don't know who's beating Clemson, and I'm throwing Alabama in there too. So we don't know how Alabama's going to react. Bryce Young's a terrific talent. He may be a guy who, at the end of the season, has 38 touchdown passes and has run for 700 yards. I could easily see that, but there's a little bit of uncertainty there. Clemson, I think, has more cer- certainty because of the position of the quarterback spot. Georgia is now a team that everybody's talking about can win the national championship because now Georgia has the quarterback spot figured out. They finally do. The three years of Kirby being obsessed and fascinated with Jake Fromm, I still don't understand why. I understand why. He's a freshman. He gets into the national championship game. They're a busted coverage away from winning the national championship game. So I get that. But, but after that, when it was clear in year two and year three, when he wasn't the type of guy that was going to take that next step, I don't know how you don't build the offense around Justin Fields and say, look, we're going to do X, Y, and Z for you. And I understand coaches are loyal, and that's fine. But, you know, I think Kirby cost that program a couple years because of that. So now they've got the quarterback at JT Daniels. Now they've got guys around him. Their defense is terrific. They've got good skill guys, even without George Pickens. They've got really good skill guys. So now they're a, a, an absolute contender. Oklahoma struggles early last year. Spencer Rattler finally figures it out. Late in the season, they go on a little roll. They win the Big 12. They beat up Florida in the bowl game. Now Oklahoma's got the quarterback spot figured out. Once you get that spot figured out, Larry, it just changes everything. Everything changes. Um, you know, I think Notre Dame, they, they lose Ian Book. They, Notre Dame's got a great team. And now they got Jack Cohn coming in from Wisconsin. Can he be the type of transfer, you know, not at the level of Burrow, but a guy that will come in and make an impact like that? to where they can have it figured out and get to the playoff. You've got to set your team up to where it begins on a line of scrimmage, and they all, everybody always says that. Um, you got to be able to block, and you got to be able to get off the quarterback. But the number one thing is the quarterback. It's, it's the number one thing. If you don't have it figured out, you're not going to win at the elite level. And that's why I think Alabama and Clemson have won over and over and over, because Nick went away from the game changer because he realized it probably in like 2014, that game, that game manager's, weren't going to do it for him anymore. The game was moving. It was moving in another direction. You know, it was the hurry-up offense. It was the pass game. And then he started recruiting these elite quarterbacks. And he's hit on a couple now. He's hit on three in a row now. The first one he recruited, he didn't hit on. Uh, Blake Barnett, the five-star kid from from uh, from uh, California. And he's hit on three in a row since then. He's hit on on uh, Jalen, on Tua, and, and now he, he thinks on Bryce Young. So, Clearly, you've got to have that position not only figured out, but he's got to be an elite player. So that's why I still think that Alabama and Clemson are kind of at that. Everybody's still chasing them. Georgia's got a great chance now because they've got that position figured out. Um, and, and, and Oklahoma also looks like a team that's right there as well. So, again, 
I always look at it like that. The two teams that have the best coaching staffs that develop players consistently over and over are Alabama and Clemson. And everybody else is chasing. And that's kind of where it is now for me now. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. At Harris Home and Harris Commercial, they want you to get every detail right. Harris means beautiful design that delivers taste, style, and comfort. It's a legacy of integrity built by generations of outstanding reliability and service. It's all about creating just the right look, the perfect feel, and dependable function for every room in your home or any business setting. Folks at Harris are Clemson people based in Anderson. A lot of Clemson University's recent facilities improvements have Harris's fingerprints all over them. For endless flooring possibilities and breathtaking renovation, the only name you need to know is Harris. Website is discoverharris.com. I want to, I'm interested in your Ohio State uh, sort of analysis. I, I mean, even, yeah, even though they had a transfer quarterback, they're still filthy loaded. And no, they are. Absolutely. I mean, based on what I saw in the spring game, they, they're, I think they're going to be fine at quarterback with either Stroud or McCord. I mean, they have, I think they have three high level quarterbacks just, uh, Based on what so I, I saw, I don't disagree with you. I think I think it's it's. I'm also one of those guys, and I'm this way with Bryce Young too. I got to see it in a game when there's seventy thousand people in the stands, or hopefully more than that, with this dopey pandemic. When the stands are full and you got the jerseys on and the lights are on and national television is there, and you got to perform. Until I see that, until I see it's third and nine, you got to make a play, and you make the play. I'm not going to say X, Y, and Z is going to get this team here. I'm just not going to do that. I mean, that's just I, – I, that position specifically, Larry, I got to see a guy who it's third nine, he's got to make a play, and then he makes the play. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, we talk about how important throwing and catching is more than ever, and it absolutely is. But, you know, Clemson lost 49-28 to in the semifinal, and they didn't lose because of their quarterback and receivers. Right. Uh, they lost because they got protect. Uh, yeah, overwhelmed in the line, lines of scrimmage. Yeah, uh, that's that's what I, that's what I was saying earlier. It begins and ends in the line of scrimmage. It's it's a football is a line of scrimmage game. There's no doubt about it. And that's what you know. I, I've been preaching all along with the Jaguars here with with Trevor Lawrence. Everybody saying, "Well, what are you going to do?" I said, "Man, my first pick after him would be a left tackle because at the end of the day, you've got to protect 16. That's the most important thing." And that's what Dabo told Urban Meyer. Or maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't tell him that. I think he just said that in the press conference after he said he told Urban, "Don't screw it up." <clears throat> and then he said, um, "It all starts with the offensive line. If you can't protect them, then then it's not going to mean much who you have yeah. back there." Yeah, what, what what has been the? I mean, we talked about Trevor, this generational 
talent at quarterback. Well, oh, by the way, there's this generational coaching presence <laughs> uh, on yeah. the sideline. Yeah. Urban Meyer, how has that gone over? It's the perfect storm, man. It really is. I mean, it's, you, you know, they, they had the most salary cap in the league, um, still have the most money in the league. They didn't even spend all of it. Uh, they had the most draft picks um, in the league. They had two first rounders. You know, they had an owner who's desperate to win. Like, literally, is basically throwing his hands up and saying, I got to do anything I can. You know, Ur- Urban got there, and he wasn't even the coach for two days. And the first day, actually, the first day, he started talking about they're going to build a, fil- a football-only facility, a specific football facility separate from the stadium. Um, you know, he's going to build it himself. He's going to spend a ton of money on it. You know, already Urban has him thinking differently. And I've been... And I've been saying this now for way well, before they hired. I was beating the Urban Drum four months before they hired him. During the during the season, I was saying, "Look, the only way it changes here is if you get someone who makes you think differently about football. Guys like Nick and Dabo and Urban make you think differently about the game, and not just on the field, but off the field. It's where everybody, and I mean everybody. And, and if you're college level, you're talking about the university president, down to the guy that washes the jersey. In the NFL, it's the team owner." down to the guy that watches the jerseys. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody knows what the number one goal is. And more than anything, everybody is invested. And it takes unique unique personalities that can psychologically get guys on the same page, like Nick, like Dabo, like Urban. Um, and the big question for Urban was, could he do it away from the college bubble? Can he do it with grown men who are getting paid to play in a league where – in college football, the coaches are the stars. In the NFL, the players are the stars. So could he do it at that level where a, a players really aren't, aren't as apt to say, all right, I'm buying all in? And, and you've got to get them to buy all in. And I think that's – right now, everybody we talked to on that team, everybody that has spoken about <clears throat> the new free agents, the current guys, um, they talked about how the vibe in the facility is unbelievable. It's just a completely different vibe in that you can tell everybody <clears> – <throat> excuse me, is bought in. And, and, and that's the big thing for Urban. It, it, he's clearly a great coach. You can say what you want about his, the off-field stuff, and I have routinely, and I've ripped him for it routinely, but the guy can coach. And, and I'll tell you this, if, if at the end of the day, it's, it's psychological. Can you get these guys to invest and play as hard as they can play every play? You can do that in college because you kind of have, you're kind of the sheriff in college. Whereas in the NFL, you're kind of the traffic cop. And, and, you know, you're directing things. And that's the big question. Everybody says, oh, Urban's not going to be able to handle losing. That's part of it. That's certainly part of his DNA. That's also part of he's got to get those players. Again, grown men to understand that I can't stand losing. You should not can't stand losing. You should be the same way. You can't stand losing too. And if he can do that, if he can get those players to that point, then you've got the perfect storm. You've got a great coach. You've got the quarterback situation figured out. Um, you've got some good skill guys around. I think they've got some really good receivers and DJ Chark and LaVisca Chanel, and they just got Marvin Jones and free agency. They've got guys around him. They got James Robinson, who was a, you know, 1300 yard runner last year. And they've got Travis Etienne, and they're now calling basically a weapon. He didn't really have a receiver. Uh, I mean, a position per se. I mean, they've got guys around them now. Now it's, can you get everybody on the same page aligned and, and moving forward? Yeah, much more of a – in college, it all starts with culture. Whereas in the NFL, it's like – I mean, it's just harder to – it just doesn't seem practical for, you know, for the culture thing to really be ingrained. I mean, even with the Patriots, it's like the chicken or the egg. I mean, the, the winning came before the culture uh, with, with the did. Patriots, you know. So 
It did, um, but there also had to be something that got them to that point. And yeah. I, you know, you, it, it's, you know, Urban has talked about culture a lot here, and it's, I get it. I get it. At, at the end of the day, it's, it's, are these guys invested? Can you be invested? And what do you have to do to get them invested and, and, and committing to, I've got to do everything I can. He calls it plus two. Whereas in, in, in college, he used to say, I want, I want, I want you to go as hard as you can from point A to point B. Now he's calling it plus two. Whatever, whatever you do, I want it to be plus two. So the, the idea is give me everything you've got every time I need you. Did you have a relationship with him when he was at Florida? I did until I wrote the story of how he broke the Florida program. Then our relationship didn't go oh too my. well after that. <laughs> Were you with the, after that, it did not go too well. I was just sporting news then. I wrote it. And, you know, the reality is he deserved it. It was, you know, he left that program in shambles. And he deserved criticism at Ohio State, too, for enabling Zach Smith. It's just, he just did. And, again, that's, that's you know, you can, you can criticize him for that, and I have. Um, but he's a hell of a coach, man. And it's the NFL, and it's different. It's different. It's a different situation here. Now, again, he tried to hire uh, Chris Doyle, the, you know, the Iowa strength, the legendary Iowa strength coach, and there, were bl- there was blowback from that. And I think he kind of realized it's a di- little different situation, uh, the NFL, as, as far as, as college football, because you can't control things. He can't control things like he could in college football. But again, I mean, he's, he says he's learned. You know, he's not going to be as you know, hands-on. He's going to be more of a CEO. And <clears throat> If I know Urban, he's going to be very hands-on. But, you know, at, <clears throat> excuse me, at what point is it, you know, does he become obsessive again? And, you know, is, does that become a problem? And, I, I just think he's he's a coach, and like all coaches, he has an ego. They all do, whether they admit it or not, and they all want to prove they can win at the highest level, and I think he wanted to prove he can win at the highest level. And, and frankly, once you retire, you've grinded for two, three decades, and you wake up one morning and you're not grinding anymore, they miss it. Yeah. So I, I, I think he missed it too, and I think he wanted to get back into it. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how – you know how it all plays out. Where can we find those interviews you you, you mentioned with <clears throat> Elliot and Dabo mm-hmm. and Michael Rosenberg? Is it on the one hundred one? So you can go to ten ten xl dot com to to find the interview with Mike Rosenberg uh, with Tony Elliott, uh, David Shaw was yesterday as well. Uh, the Dabo interview was our was we did a thing called the Trevor Cast. We did a podcast. Uh, Hayes Carline, who covers the Jaguars for the radio station. And I did it, and it's a ten-part series where we talked to a bunch of different coaches and players and people who knew, uh, who knew Trevor. It's a cool little series. I mean, they're more—they're no more than like thirty-five or forty minutes long. Um, there's ten of them, and that's where we did that. That's where we had Dabo on that one. Gotcha. Well, we're gonna have to have you on uh, at some time again to talk with Spurrier, <laughs> the relationship with Spurrier, and all that. I'm sure that could last about two or three hours. Yeah, yeah, My, yeah. The difference with Spurrier is Spurrier actually, at the end of the day, I mean, he he can be a smart aleck, and you can rip him all you want. He's a good dude. At the end of the day, yeah. he's just a good dude. Um, the wine bottle that he gave, <laughs> Isn't that funny that he gave Mullen. That's, that's hey, that's the competitor in him too. <laughs> yes, because everybody jokes and says, "Oh no, he's just playing, having fun with Dan." No, he's not. No, he's basically telling Dan Mullen, "Okay, great, you beat George. Congratulations." <laughs> You won the East. Congratulations. Here's your little wine. Come I back mean, with me when you win when you win a championship that matters. A mini bottle of Woodbridge and says SEC East Champs. Yeah. I mean, I mean think about it. Here's this is the classic spur line. We can get this later. The classic spur thing was when, you know, after after he'd left and gone to the NFL and, and Zook flamed out, they were looking for another coach and, and Bernie Match and the president, then the president of Florida, 
wanted him to interview for the job. And yeah. Spurrier told him, interview? Because Spurrier <laughs> wanted his resume. He said, resume? Go look at your trophy case. There's my resume. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, here you go, Dan. If, if you actually win the conference, I might actually stop by a real wine store to get to get your, you know, get a, a, right, a full bottle right. of wine. <laughs> he might say he loves Dan Mullen. He may. He may. But at the end of the day, he's also a guy saying, look, man, I know what I did here. Why don't you come talk to me when you get close to that? He's competing with him, too. No, of course he is. Of course. All right, Matt. You got you got a whole radio show to do uh, shortly, I do, so I appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much. That was great stuff. Okay, buddy. Take care. All right. We are definitely going to have Matt Hayes on again to talk about old Spurrier stories because he covered them, covered Spurrier and the Gators for many years back in the 1990s during their heyday. So, again, we could probably talk for hours about that. Going to have him on again. Thanks to him. Matt, for uh, joining us at a busy time. Thanks to our six very loyal sponsors. And most of all, thanks to all of you for giving this a listen. Appreciate it. Everybody be safe. We'll be back next week. Cheers.